I'd like to invite you to turn with me to our text for this morning. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. Exodus 21 through 17, and this is a, a famous passage. Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, long-time member of a church, or more recent, you've probably heard at least bits and pieces of, the, pieces of this because it's the Ten Commandments. That's on page 60 if you're following along in the Pew Bibles, by the way. Um, there's also a cross-reference passage here that actually I forgot about until this morning when I saw it was printed in the bulletin, which is Psalm 73. Uh, sometimes as a pastor, you kind of plan to go certain directions with a sermon, and then the Holy Spirit leads you in different directions. Uh, so I'm not going to actually read Psalm 73 because I'm not doing anything with it in the sermon. Um, but it is an interesting uh, kind of poetic and prayerful reflection on what it looks like to live in a culture and society without Sabbath. Uh, that's what Psalm 73 is. It's actually the psalmist's admission that looking at his neighbors and those around him who are grasping and trying to continually work for accomplishment and accumulation and all those sorts of things, he himself was tempted uh, to live like that until he was reminded of his trust and need to depend on God. And so Psalm 73 is kind of an interesting uh, reflection on Sabbath and what it looks like to trust and rely on God instead of our own efforts. And so if you have some time later this week, I'd recommend reading it. Uh, it'll actually tie in with next week's sermon too. <clears throat> But we're in a series on Sabbath here. That's what we've been talking about the last number of weeks, and we're going to continue that today by looking at the fourth command. And I want to set that fourth command in the context of the full Ten Commandments. So Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. And then the Ten Commandments begin. First, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in the heavens above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Third, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Fourth, and this is really our focus for this morning, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Five, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. And ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters, uh, brothers, and friends in Jesus Christ, one of my favorite definitions of humility goes like this. It says that humility is having an accurate view of yourself in relation to God and the rest of the world. 
Humility is having an accurate view of yourself in relation to God and to the rest of the world. Now, first of all, who has favorite definitions of humility, right? (laughs) Pastors. At least this one does. Uh, But here's why I like that definition of humility. There's actually a number of reasons why I like that definition of humility, but here's one of them, which is that it more or less perfectly sums up the Ten Commandments in our passage for this morning. You see, the Ten Commandments, which if you've spent any time at all around the church, you've probably heard at least bits and pieces of at some point or another, uh, can more or less be split in half. Uh, That's because the first half, the first four commands, the first table of the law as it's known, govern or guide our relationship with God, our vertical relationship with God. So those first four commands say things like, don't have any other gods before me, don't make make any idols. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. And then again, the focus uh, of, our, of our sermon series right now, the fourth command, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. These commands govern or guide our relationship with God and how we relate to him. Okay, they tell us who God is, they tell us who we are, and then they tell us who we are in relationship with him. And so to go back to that definition of humility, the first four commands of the Ten Commandments give us an accurate view of ourselves in relation to God. The second half of the commands, meanwhile, the second table of the law, the the second six, govern our relationships with other people with each other as human beings. So they say things like honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony or lie, and don't covet. Those commands govern or guide our relationships with other people. They tell us how to treat others, how not to treat others, and how our relationships with other people will generally go well. In other words, They give us an accurate view of ourselves in relationship to the rest of the world. And so taken together, the Ten Commandments more or less fulfill that definition of humility. They tell us who we are in relation to God, vertically, and how we ought to relate to him. But they also tell us who we are in relation to others, horizontally, and how we ought to relate to each other as human beings. And so for the next two Sundays, actually, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how the commands give us an accurate view of ourselves in relationship to God. That's our focus this morning. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then next week, we'll look at how the commands give us an accurate view of ourselves in relation to other people. And for both of them, both this week and next week, we're going to use this fourth command about Sabbath as sort of our window or lens into that. And we're going to look at how the Sabbath actually helps us understand both our relationship vertically with God as well as our horizontal relationships with each other as human beings. Now, to start, I'm going to begin with a simple statement that while it sounds easy to understand, the more we talk about it today, I think it will become less and less easy to understand. You ready? Okay, here it is. I am not God. Right? This is the sort of deep, nuanced, uh, theological thinking that you've come to expect from me as your pastor, right? I am not God. But I'm not. I'm not God. And neither are you. And here's another revolutionary statement. Only God is God. And while that may sound simple or obvious or like it hardly needs to be said, I'm actually not so sure. 
You see, while most of us, apart from any potential narcissists, know intellectually that we're not God, the fact of the matter is that our habits, our lives, and the way that we live often tells a different story. At least it does at times. And so if we're going to understand God and what our relationship with him looks like, uh, and this, this command, this idea, this invitation to Sabbath, to stop, rest, delight, and worship God, then this is actually where I think we need to start. We need to understand how even though we know we're not God, we still sometimes try to live as if we are. You see, on the one hand, it's painfully obvious that I'm not God. Uh, For instance, God is omniscient. That means that he is all-knowing. He knows all things. I, on the other hand, do not. I'm not omniscient. I'm merely sentient. I know some things, but I don't know everything. Not even close, in fact. And God is omnipotent. That means that he is all-powerful. He can do all things. There's nothing he can't do or accomplish. How does that children's song go that we sometimes sing? My God is so big, so awesome and mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. That's his attribute of omnipotence in a children's song. I, however, am not omnipotent. In fact, most days I'm not even sure I'm potent, let alone omni. Aren't? Like, my word joke's just so fun. And God is omnipresent. That means that he's everywhere, always, all at once. He's not bound by time or space, but instead he can be anywhere he wants, whenever he wants to be there, all the time, even at the same time. But I can't. Unlike God, I am bound by time and space. I can't be everywhere all at once because I have a body, and so I am limited to being only where my body is in a given moment. In other words, unlike God, I have limits, I have borders, I have boundaries that keep me in check and limit who I am, what I can do, and who I can be. And again, it's painfully obvious when you think about it that way that I'm not God, that you're not either. And yet, the way I live my life kind of tells a different story. You see, again, uh, while I know up here, intellectually, that I am not God, the way that I live kind of seems to say that I think I am God. And I'm willing to bet that that's the case for you, too. I mean, for starters, uh, even though I know I'm not omniscient and don't know all things, I kind of think I am, okay? Just ask Sarah about that sometime. I mean, I'm a firstborn, so right there, just from the start of my life, I've kind of thought that I know all things. Um, But I'm also a pastor, which means that my area of expertise is God and theology and the divine and the transcendent. In fact, do you know what the name of my degree is, the degree that you get in order to become a pastor? Master of Divinity. Is that not the most pretentious thing you've ever heard? Okay. Right there in my degree name, I know everything. I'm a master of divinity. I know everything about God, all the most significant things in life. And as a pastor, I spend a lot of my time reading and thinking and writing about things like philosophy and theology and apologetics and sociology and all the ologies, right? That's my job, is to be right about the most significant things in life and in eternity. 
And so even though I know that I don't know everything, I kind of get tempted to think that I do, right? Any other know-it-alls in the room? You're getting nudged by either your spouse or a friend, okay? So you know who you are. I know I'm not alone. I've told this story uh, before, but a few years ago, a friend of mine told me a story that just so resonated with me. He was arguing with his wife about something, and uh, at one point in the argument, she just said to him, you know, Pearson, the problem with you is that you just you think you know everything. And he said his response was, of course I think I know everything. If I didn't think that I was right about something, I would change my opinion and then I'd be right again. <laughs> and he since admitted that was not the right thing to say in that moment, okay? But there's a reason that resonates with me. Because I feel the same way. I went home after hearing that story from my friend and I said to Sarah, this is why we fight so much. Because I think I know everything. I think I'm right about everything. And if I didn't think I was right, I'd change my opinion and then I'd get to be right again. I think I'm omniscient. And because I think I'm omniscient, I also kind of think I'm omnipotent. I can do anything. I can fix anything. Just give me a chance. Just share your problems with me. I'll help you. I'll fix it. Brandon is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing that Brandon cannot do, right? I think I'm omnipotent. And I also kind of think that I'm omnipresent, at least I try to be. You see, as a human golden retriever, which I think is the best definition or description of me I've ever been given, I never want to miss out. I never want to have to say no to anything. I never want to have to miss an opportunity to be part of something or be with people where I will feel valued and important and significant. Hashtag FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. That's me in a nutshell. I rush from thing to thing to thing, trying to be everywhere all at once, involved in everything, never missing out so that I never miss the thing I want to be a part of. I try to be omnipresent. And so in one sense, while I know I'm not God, I'm not omniscient, I'm not omnipotent, I'm not omnipresent, in another sense, I sure try to be. You know, I'm kind of like that Greek semi-god, Atlas, trying to hold the weight of the, sh- of the world up on my shoulders, doing it all, accomplishing it all, because I think at a very real level that it all ultimately depends on me. And again, I'm willing to bet that some of you feel and live your lives the same way. Like the world is on your shoulders. It's up to you. It depends on you. And so you can't stop, can't rest, can't delight, can't worship, can't Sabbath because you're too busy trying to be God rather than worship him. Too busy trying to keep it all going. Too busy trying to live like everything and everyone depends on you. And if that's the case for you, like it is for me, and it really is this way for me, this is something I personally struggle with, okay? Then I would like to offer this command, this command to Sabbath, as an invitation and a welcome breath of fresh air. You see, this command, the fourth command of the Ten Commandments, at least the Exodus version, we're going to look at the Deuteronomy version next week, but it says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day 
and made it holy. Now, again, we've been talking about this, about the Sabbath for the last couple of weeks, right? And we've been talking our way through a couple different themes of Sabbath. So a few weeks ago, we talked about the Sabbath as an invitation to stop, to get off the hurry train, the hype train, the hustle train that our culture never ceases to, to you know, sort of blare in our faces. It never tells us to slow down and the Sabbath is an invitation to do that, to slow down and stop. And we talked about the Sabbath as rest too, the opportunity at least once a week to rest the way that our creator made us to. And specifically a few weeks ago, we talked about the Sabbath as an opportunity to rest from our efforts to save and justify ourselves, which we can't do, but we try to do. And then last week, we talked about the Sabbath as delight, the Sabbath as a day to taste and see the goodness of our God and the creation that he made and gave us as his people to enjoy. But I think the Sabbath might be best explained best understood and best summed up according to the theme that we're talking about today, which is as a weekly day to worship. And that's our focus this morning. The Sabbath, put simply, is a weekly day to remember that you, me, and everyone else who's not God are not God and that he himself alone is. Again, the simple fact is that we are not God. That's simple to say. It's not simple to live. But we're not. We don't have to keep everything going. We don't have to keep holding everything up. We don't have to keep living our lives as if the world or everyone else depends on us because it doesn't. They don't. In fact, it wouldn't depend on us even if we wanted it to. Instead, the only one it really depends on is God. And the Sabbath, for most of us, Sunday, one day out of the week, is a weekly reminder of that. It's a weekly reminder that you, me, and everyone other than God is not God, and that he and only he is. He's the only one who really keeps it all going. And we see that, by the way, even in where this command is placed in the Ten Commandments, because it's in the first half, like we said, right? It's one of those first four commands that governs our relationship and how we relate to God. And what are those other three commands in the first half again? Okay, first, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Third, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So no other gods, no idols, and no misusing God's name. Those are the first three commands. How do we keep those commands? How do we keep those commands to not have any other gods? To not make any idols or fall into idolatry? To not misuse God's name? Well, there's a lot of different ways that we keep those commands. But one way that we can keep all three of those commands at the same time is by keeping this command. The Sabbath. Because on the Sabbath day, how does this command start? Remember the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, we don't just remember the Sabbath, but we remember in a very real sense that we are not God. Have no other gods before me. We are not the maker and creator of the universe. Don't make an image in the form of anything else in creation. 
remember or don't misuse God's name. How do we bring God's name honor and glory? By recognizing who he is and that he is holy and set apart and we are not. See, that's what the Sabbath command is ultimately about. Don't turn yourself into another God who competes with God. Don't make an idol out of yourself. Don't try to elevate and bring glory to your name in place of God's. The Sabbath helps us keep those other three commands at the start of the Ten Commandments by reminding us that everything does not ultimately depend on us. We are not God. Instead, we can rest because even while we rest, God is still in control. God is still ruling, ruling and sustaining all things. God is still keeping it all going. At a very basic level, that's what this command says. It says that you, I, all of us are not God. He is, and so we can rest. The command to Sabbath is a de facto command against idolatry because it is a de facto command against the idolatry of seeing ourselves in God's place. In fact, we see that even in the structure of this command. We'll just break this down for a brief moment. In verses 8 through 10, this command says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you. Okay, so what that is telling us is that I'm not God of myself. God is. God is giving me instructions here. He's in control, not me. The next part, nor your son or daughter. I'm not God of my family. I'm not ultimately in control of my family. God is. Nor your male or female servant. I am not the God of my maid, my landscaping guy, even my employees who work for me or anyone else. Nor your animals. I'm not even God of my dog. She thinks I am but I'm not. I'm not God of anyone nor any foreigner residing in your towns. We're not God of anyone. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God is God. God alone is God. God is the creator, sustainer, and ruler of the universe. He's the one who keeps everything going. Not you, not me, him. And the Sabbath reminds us of that. That's why this command invites us to take a day off once a week every seven days. Because even when we stop working, God does not. And in our rest, it is an acknowledgement of who he is. He is God. This also, by the way, is why Christians have historically worshipped on Sunday. Okay? Now, the Sabbath wasn't always uh, on Sunday. Uh, it used to be uh, Friday to Saturday, sundown to sundown. That's when observant Jews have historically practiced uh, the Sabbath. And that, by the way, is when some Christian traditions, uh, like the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, still practice Sabbath. In fact, that's when I practice Sabbath, is Friday 
evening sundown to Saturday evening sundown because this is a work day for me. I can't Sabbath on Sundays, so I have to Sabbath uh, elsewhere in the week, and that's typically when our family chooses to do it. But after Easter and Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which was on the first day of the week on Sunday, most Christian traditions made the decision to combine their Sabbath rest from their work with their weekly celebration of the resurrection new life that we have as Christians in Jesus Christ. And so they came to celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. Now, the reason why we worship on the Sabbath on Sunday is because of what we've been talking about this morning. We worship on Sabbath because on it, As we set aside our work, put down our tools, and rest from our responsibilities, we, in a very real sense, cease our idolatrous efforts to keep everything going and doing it all by ourselves. Instead, we come together in a place like this, a place of worship, and we acknowledge and praise the only one who truly keeps it all going, which is God. That's why Sabbath is a reminder that we are not God. Because on the Sabbath, a weekly reminder, it reminds us that we are not ultimately God. And we stop worshiping ourselves and our own efforts so that we instead can worship him. And so yes, on the one hand, it's easy to say that I'm not God. It's a lot harder to live that out. And we're all tempted towards self-idolatry in that way. But keeping and remembering the Sabbath helps. Because on the Sabbath, we worship and we praise. We cease our efforts. We stop our striving. We quit our mad dash to be God ourselves. And instead, we recognize the one who alone is. And that brings us to the gospel this morning. Um, We talked about this a few weeks ago But it's actually not just our physical work that we rest from on on the Sabbath. Uh, You know, all that we have to do and accomplish in our jobs, for school, with our homework, our chores, all that we have to get done. It's actually our religious striving that we rest from too. You see, just like the world and creation and other people don't ultimately rely or depend on us, our salvation doesn't ultimately rely or depend on us either. Only God can save us. Just like everything else in our lives, only God can take us as fallen, broken, sinful people and make something of us. And the Sabbath is a reminder of that too. It's a reminder that God, though it was of no benefit to him, sent his son Jesus Christ to live among us, to die for us, and ultimately to rise to resurrection new life and give us that resurrection new life. On our own, we would not be capable of that. We wouldn't be able to save ourselves. In fact, in our sin and rebellion against God, if it was up to us, we wouldn't even want to. We wouldn't want to have a relationship with him. But like everything else, God does it for us. And so we can cease our striving. We can stop our efforts. We can put an end at least once a week to our silly and pointless attempts to keep everything going, including our own salvation. And instead, we can rest and trust and worship the only one who makes it all possible. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, 
Those are easy words to say. Lord, God, at the start of a prayer in a worship service like this, often we don't even think about it. Lord, God. And yet we go around living our lives as if that was true of us rather than you. But Lord, God, you alone are God. Thank you for this gift of a day and this weekly reminder that reminds us of that. You are God, we are not. Help us to worship and acknowledge you and help that one day a week practice of Sabbath to bleed into the rest of our days and weeks and lives so that in everything that we do, always, all the time, we remember that you are God and we worship you. It's in the name of your Son, who makes our relationship with you possible, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.